Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. You know, one of the things our children learn very early is that our world is dirty, it's polluted, it's germ-infested, and it can infect and contaminate us. And so that's why we subject them to vaccination needles and immunization shots because of the very real dangers that this world poses to us. And so it's no surprise that we have a certain, even if at times excessive appreciation for and pursuit of cleanliness. You want to know this morning that my hands are clean before you take bread from me. We don't partake of a common cup at New Life. Y'all have your own individual cups so you don't have to drink after other people. We disapprove of double dipping in social contexts. If you don't know what double dipping is, here's a Seinfeld reference for you that explains what that means. But we don't really approve of that too much. You hope that the people have showered and bathed prior to worship service before you come in and sit next to them. That's your hope anyway. Some of you might even require your own dirty, sweaty children to clean up after they've been outside before you give them a hug. And that's because we know that other people are major carriers of dirt and pollution. That people carry these things around. Kids learn that very early as well. They believe at a young age that certain kids have cooties. That's been a long-held belief by children. All you have to do is touch somebody or have somebody breathe on you, or maybe even just have somebody stare at you long enough that has cooties, and you'll get infected too. So you don't want to get too close or touch anybody that has cooties. Now, as we get older, we recognize that all of this has a spiritual aspect to it as well. To refer to someone or something as dirty has moral connotations, which is why we can talk about a dirty old man who tells dirty jokes and watches dirty movies. That all has a moral connotation to it. We don't want to be around dirty people, physically or morally, until they clean up their act or until they clean themselves up. But, you know, we can all be really grateful this morning that Jesus isn't like that. Jesus wasn't primarily concerned with his own sanitation. He wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty, and he didn't avoid unclean people. This becomes very clear early in Mark's gospel when we read the story about the healing of the leper. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. It's in Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. So you can follow along in your Bibles, or I'll also have the text from the ESV translation here on the screens for you to follow along that way as well. But we're going to look at Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45 this morning. And so let's stand now for the reading of God's Word. And a leper came to Jesus, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places 
and people were coming to him from every quarter. The the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord abides forever. You can be seated. Now, the truth that Mark is setting before us here is this truth. Our merciful Savior restores leprous sinners to wholeness. That's the truth set before us here, that our merciful Savior restores leprous sinners to wholeness or to what we could call shalom. And this is wonderful news for us because what's revealed here is the solution to our pollution. And that's what we're going to unpack this morning from this text, the solution to our pollution. And to begin unpacking this, we're first going to look at the condition. The condition. According to the traditions of Judaism, next to defilement from the dead, the uncleanness of leprosy, the condition of leprosy, was considered the foremost form of being unclean. Nothing would bring a greater personal fear or greater social disgrace than a diagnosis of leprosy. And this condition of leprosy involved physical sickness. People were physically sick. It seems that leprosy is a term that encompassed a variety of different diseases that affected the skin. And it seems also that leprosy would often begin with a white, scaly spot or spots that might change color, but they would eventually spread across the rest of the body, and they they would produce these pockets that would rupture and leave behind open lesions that would emit a foul odor and lead to an appalling appearance on the part of the leper. But even at a deeper level than the surface of the skin, leprosy damaged the nerve endings so that the person would lose all sensation, including the the sensation of pain. And so it wasn't uncommon for lepers to be missing fingers, or toes, or parts of fingers, or parts of toes, or even entire limbs because of the nature of the infection and the inability to protect themselves from pain because they'd lost the sensation of that pain. The leper literally was rotting away, kind of this this vision of the walking dead. But in addition to physical sickness, the condition of leprosy also involved social seclusion. The diagnosis of leprosy meant being banished from family, friends, and community. A leper couldn't kiss his wife, couldn't hug his children, couldn't hang out with friends, couldn't work a trade, couldn't enter into the marketplace. There was a great degree of seclusion socially. We read in Leviticus chapter 13 some of the law regarding leprosy, verses 45 and 46, and we read there, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has a disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. And so the leper had to dress like he was going to a burial service. And in a way, he was going to a burial service. It was his own, completely isolated from others. He had to announce his uncleanness to others, lest others get too close or touch him. It was considered unlawful for a leper to come within 50 feet of a clean person unless it was a windy day. And then it was unlawful for the leper to come within 200 feet of a clean person. And being consigned to a place outside the camp meant that he was forbidden to enter into any walled city, increasing this sense of seclusion and isolation. But because he couldn't enter into walled cities, it meant also that the leper 
not only experienced physical sickness and social seclusion, but he couldn't enter into the temple courts either. And so there was spiritual separation accompanying this condition as well. Lepers were alienated from the worshiping community. They were alienated from the worship of God, and they were alienated from a relationship with God himself. Because rabbis would typically trace diseases to personal offenses, the leper's condition was also viewed on some level as being self-inflicted because of some kind of moral cause. It was self-inflicted. And as a result of that moral guilt, God had afflicted and rejected the leper. And so this condition of leprosy is just seen as involving pollution. The person is polluted physically, socially, and spiritually. We might refer to this as some kind of holistic uncleanness, permeating every facet of the person's being. Or we might even say that leprosy reflected total depravity holistically unclean or totally depraved. And here, we might start seeing a connection, right? The connection is this. His condition is intended to depict our condition. The picture of leprosy in the scriptures depict this condition of sin. We're all unclean and polluted because of our sinfulness. There is no one here this morning that is clean or whole. We're all holistically polluted. We're physically sick. Our bodies are wasting away. It doesn't matter how young you are. doesn't matter how much exercise you do to try to keep yourself fit. Our bodies are deteriorating. And the diagnosis for all of us is terminal. Our bodies aren't going to make it out of here alive. We're physically sick and decaying. Socially, we're divided. We're racially divided at this time in our own country. Throughout the world, people are divided. In our own personal relationships, we experience the fracture of that. Many of our relationships are toxic, and most of them are dysfunctional at best. We're spiritually diseased as well, physically, socially, and spiritually. Sin has alienated us and separated us from God. So in our fallen condition, we are all polluted and morally unclean and this is so critical for us to see about ourselves we have to be able to personally identify with the condition of this leper otherwise we will never sense the desperation to come to jesus for compassion like this leper does if we never feel like there's anything wrong with us that we're not unclean we'll never seek cleansing we will never seek a savior unless we realize that something is wrong with us Unless we realize that we're unclean, we won't seek the compassion of Jesus. But that brings us to the second thing, and that is to see the compassion in this story. The episode begins with a leper coming to Jesus, and he implores him, kneeling to him. And he says, if you will, you can make me clean. But wait a minute. Are you paying attention here? Lepers were supposed to keep their distance from other people and broadcast their condition so contact with others could be avoided. So why does this leper approach Jesus? He had learned to turn the other direction from people, especially religious people. Now, we don't know what this leper 
knows or what he's heard about Jesus at this point. This is very early in Mark's gospel. This is Mark chapter 1. We don't know if he knows anything about Jesus, but what's clear is he is drawn to him. And what does that tell us about Jesus? That the unclean people of his day were compelled toward him. What does that say about Jesus? But how does that serve to confront and rebuke his followers today? Because how many broken, needy, marginalized, quote-unquote, unclean people feel not compelled by the church, but repelled by the church? Why is that? That's a question that Christian author Philip, Philip Yancey explores in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew. He recounts the story of a friend who worked with the down and out in the Chicago area. And he said his friend recounted a story of a prostitute who came to him in wretched straits, homeless, her health failing, unable to buy food for her two-year-old daughter. Her eyes awash with tears, she confessed that she had been renting out her daughter, two years old, to men interested in kinky sex in order to support her own drug habit. My friend could hardly bear hearing the sordid details of her story. He sat in silence, not knowing what to say, and at last he asked if she had ever thought of going to a church for help. I will never forget the look of pure astonishment that crossed her face, he later told me. Church, she cried. Why would I ever go there? They'd just make me feel even worse than I already do. Yancey continues, the down and out who flocked to Jesus when he lived on earth no longer feel welcome. How did Jesus, the only perfect person in history, manage to attract the notoriously imperfect? And what keeps us from following in his steps today? That's a fair question, isn't it? What keeps us from drawing the broken, the needy, and the unclean? Well, I'm sure that's a difficult question to answer completely, but couldn't it be that part of the reason is that we have lost sight of our own uncleanness? We've lost sight of our own depravity. We've lost sight of our own desperate need for the cleansing grace of Jesus. We've lost sight of that. And so instead we've become proud, critical, derogatory, easily judgmental, and quickly condemning of others. So it's not only critical for us to personally identify with the leper in this story for salvation, that we would be compelled to come to Jesus for our own cleansing. It's also critical for us to identify in order for us to show mercy and compassion to those around us who, like us, are also unclean and polluted. If we don't think there's anything wrong with us, not only will we not come to Jesus, it'll be difficult for us to show compassion and mercy to others. Jesus certainly responds with great compassion. His model for us is to respond with compassion. Move with pity, we read in verse 41. He stretched out his hand and touched him. Okay, wait again. Are you paying attention? Jesus could have simply spoken a word and healed this leper. He does so on other occasions in the Gospel of Mark. He just speaks and they're healed. He touches the leper. You can't touch a leper. You touch a leper, you're unclean. What are you doing, Jesus? You don't touch lepers if you're clean. But Jesus touches the untouchable, and he loves the unlovely. He's not afraid 
of the filth and the dirt of this leper, physically or morally. In fact, the reason he came was to take upon himself humanity's uncleanness in order to take it away from us and make us clean. That's why he came. This touch actually provides a picture of the atoning work of Christ becoming infected with our sin and uncleanness in order to purify us and make us clean. But this touch does more than serve simply as a pointer to the deeper spiritual, spiritual reality of Jesus becoming infected with our sin in order to heal us. It does that, but it does more than that. It also provides a picture of Jesus' holistic compassion. Holistic compassion. Jesus didn't just care about the spiritual condition of this leper. He was concerned about the leper holistically. As a person, as a human, his compassion extended to all of those things. Jesus recognizes the importance of human touch. When do you think the last time this person experienced the touch of another human being was? We don't know. We don't know how long he was a leper. But if he was a leper for any extended period of time, it had been a while. And human touch is a powerful, powerful thing. It's so powerful that it can be devastating to be touched in the wrong way. It's devastating for people to be touched in the wrong way. Just ask anybody who's willing to be honest about physical or sexual abuse that they've experienced, and they'll tell you not just about the physical wounds, but about the emotional and spiritual scars that result from that. Human touch is a powerful thing, and it can be devastating, but we can also undervalue the importance of being touched in the right way. Sometimes what people need more than anything else more than anything else, including words, is an arm around their shoulder or a hug. Dr. Paul Brand shares this story. He says, as late as 1920, the infant mortality rate in some hospitals in the United States approached 50%. When a Boston physician named Fritz Talbot was visiting a hospital in Germany, he encountered old Anna. The staff informed him, when we have done everything we can medically for a baby and it's still not doing well, we turn it over to old Anna and she cures it. When Talbot proposed the care of simply touching babies back in the United States, administrators derided and dismissed it as unscientific, but results soon convinced them. In Bellevue Hospital in New York, after a rule was established that all babies must be picked up, carried around, and mothered several times a day, the infant mortality rate dropped from 35% to 10% with just that one change. Touch matters. It's powerful. And it matters to Jesus because Jesus' care for us is holistic. It's physical, social, emotional, relational, as well as spiritual. Jesus cares about you physically. He cares about your body. He cares about your sicknesses. He cares about the fatigue you experience because you can't sleep well. He cares about your blood sugar levels. He cares about your blood pressure. He cares about your seasonal allergies. He cares about your back pain. He cares about your cancer. He cares for you physically, but he cares about your emotions and how you feel as well. He cares when you're fearful. He cares about your anxiety, your depression, your disappointment, your frustration. He cares about your relationships. He cares about that trouble that you're having with your parents, that trouble that you're having with your kids that trouble that you're having with a spouse. He cares that you're being bullied. He cares about those feelings of being betrayed or rejected or left out or lonely. He is moved 
with compassion in light of those things. Go to him. Go to him with those things. He cares for us spiritually as well. So much so that he stepped into our filthy, dirty world in order to take our uncleanness upon him that he might cleanse us by giving up his life on the cross to cleanse us by his blood. And his purposes in our life is to restore us to complete wholeness or shalom. Physically, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. That's his purpose. And that process has already started. It's not complete yet. That, that process has already started spiritually. Because he's brought us by his spirit from spiritual death to spiritual life. But that process has also started in our relationships where the gospel gives us power to reconcile with those that we're separated from, starting with our reconciliation to God in the gospel. It gives us new affections. That whole holistic restoration has already started because Jesus cares for us holistically. And because Jesus cares for us holistically, our care for others as the church should also be holistic to reflect his care. The church's care should be holistic. We shouldn't just care about people's souls. We should care about people physically and socially and emotionally. There are people around you who need to hear the gospel because without it, they're going to perish. Share the gospel with people. That needs to be stressed. There are people around you who need to hear the gospel. And for you to share compassion means to share the gospel with them. But there are also all kinds of people around you who are experiencing health problems who are experiencing stress and grief and financial turmoil, who are wrestling with substance abuse, sexual uncertainty, academic challenges, fear of the future, abuse, loneliness, and just general hurt. Show them compassion and attention and care, like Jesus, holistically. And that can look like all kinds of different things. That might just simply mean visiting with them, spending time with someone who's hurting, hurting or broken. Listening to them is an important ministry of compassion. It might mean sending a text or a note, helping them out financially, taking a meal to them, running an errand for them, offering to babysit for them, offering a hug to them, reassuring them of your love, or praying for them. All of those are acts of compassion. Of course, we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that compassion doesn't necessarily mean that we don't confront or challenge people about the decisions that they're making in their life, that we don't confront or challenge them with truth. It doesn't mean that we don't allow them to suffer the natural consequences of poor, sinful decisions. That's compassionate in times as well. Compassion might also be linking with one of our compassion ministries, the Light in the Darkness ministry. It's ministering to women in strip clubs. It might mean joining Elmcroft ministry, visiting the elderly, or joining Kids Hope to sit down and mentor an at-risk child in the elementary schools. It might mean serving with Reach Yorktown or Muncie Mission as they seek to alleviate poverty and care for the broken. In the broader community, it might mean volunteering for First Choice for Women, Crisis Pregnancy Center. It might mean opening up your life and opening up your home to international students who are a long way from family and friends and everything that's familiar. Or it might mean, at some point in the future, 
going to St. Louis or El Salvador as part of New Life short-term missions and showing the compassion of Jesus in those areas. But the bottom line is this. If you know the compassion of Jesus and you've been touched by His grace, then you're called to show that compassion to others so that they might know His love and concern through us. If you know the compassion of Jesus, show the compassion of Jesus. And because Jesus' compassion is holistic, our compassion toward others should be holistic as well. In fact, what happens next also shows Jesus' holistic care for this leopard. So let's look finally at the cleansing. Jesus doesn't just touch the leper. He says, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Now when you look at this, you're right to think that we seldom experience this kind of exceptional cleansing, this kind of miraculous, radical, immediate cleansing of the leper's condition. Ours is generally more of a process. But I think, to quote Philip Yancey again, he makes a helpful observation about the significance of the miracles of Jesus, including this one. Yancey writes, The miracles that Jesus did perform, breaking as they did the chains of sickness and death, give me a glimpse of what the world was meant to be and instill hope that one day God will right its wrongs. To put it mildly, God is no more satisfied with this earth than we are. Jesus' miracles offer a hint of what God intends to do about it. Some see miracles as an implausible suspension of the laws of the physical universe. They serve just the opposite function. Death, decay, entropy, and destruction are the true suspensions of God's laws. Miracles are the early glimpses of restoration. This is a picture of what is to come in fullness. The cleansing of the leper anticipates the complete restoration of shalom that is to come. That's what awaits us. And again, it's already started with new hearts, new affections. That restoration has already started by the work of the Spirit in our hearts, but it will come to fullness when Jesus returns. Moving ahead with the story, though, we do read in verses 43 and 44 that Jesus sternly charges the leper, sends him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. This is still holistic care for this individual, because you have to bear in mind that at this stage, in order for this leper to enjoy full restoration into the religious and social life of the community, he needs to be declared clean by a priest. And Jesus doesn't circumvent that protocol. He sends him there so that his cleansing can be testified to and affirmed and he can re-enter religious and social life. Maybe that's what he means by a proof to them, but it's possible that Jesus means something else there too because Jesus does what no Old Testament priest could do. All a priest could do was pronounce a person clean or unclean according to the law. The actual healing of the condition was left to God. But through the cleansing of the leper, Jesus gives an undeniable demonstration of his messianic identity and his divine power to heal. Maybe that's what he means by serving as a proof to them that the kingdom, the restoration process has begun because the king has arrived. Perhaps that's what he means. Perhaps he means both of these things. It's difficult to interpret exactly what he means by a proof to them. 
But perhaps you're thinking right now that you're too unclean, too dirty, guilty of too many immoral, vile acts, too much of an outcast, and you just haven't lived a good enough religious life for God to love you, care for you, cleanse you, and heal you. Go to Jesus. Because Jesus receives the unclean with compassion. Jesus is a compassionate Savior, and he can cleanse you no matter how polluted you are. He can cleanse you and restore you. But maybe more importantly for some of us, perhaps we're thinking in our pride that we're too clean to touch the untouchable, to love the unlovely, to show compassion to the unclean. But we all need to remember that we were lepers in need of cleansing. And Jesus showed us compassion so that in knowing his mercy, we could be active in showing that mercy to others. Notice the episode ends in verse 45. This leper goes out and he began to talk freely about it, to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer open, openly enter any town. You might think it's strange that Jesus tells this leper not to say anything, but keep in mind that this leper is not yet fully armed with the gospel message. The gospel message requires the death and resurrection of Jesus. That hasn't happened yet. So he's not armed with the full message of the gospel, but what he does know, he can't keep to himself. He can't keep it to himself, this wonderful news that our merciful Savior restores leprous sinners to wholeness. He can't keep that to himself, that he touches the untouchable, that he loves the unlovely, that he cleans the unclean. So how can those of us who know the whole story who know the death and resurrection of Jesus and who have the first fruits of a new life dwelling within us by the Spirit, how can we do any less than this leper? There is a solution to our pollution, physically, socially, and spiritually. And that solution is a person. It's Jesus and the world needs to know. Let us make him known with our words and let us make him known with our acts of compassion and mercy. In his name, let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and celebrate and give you thanks for your compassion extended to us in the person of your son. We are lost without it. We remain in our pollution and uncleanness without your mercy and compassion, but we thank you that you are a compassionate God who has come to save us and cleanse us. Give us grace to seek purity, having been cleansed, and to live for you, and having received your compassion, to extend that compassion holistically to others, so that the name of Jesus might be lifted up. We pray in his name. Amen.